Hey, it's Pastor Mike. Before we get to today's episode, I want you to know that we at Time of Grace have a ton of resources to help you in your walk of faith. From our TV program, to daily devotions, to our Grace Talks video devotions, to podcasts, to our blog, to books, to other books, till still more books, uh, whatever you're looking for and however you best learn, you can stay rooted in Jesus by taking time out for God's word every day. If you're interested, just go to timeofgrace.org to sign up for our daily email. Now, on to today's episode. How about you? What do you think about that old church teaching called original sin? That from our very origins, something is wrong with us. That from our youngest years, far from God, distant, dead, blind, and hostile are the right adjectives, and not good, innocent, lovely, wonderful, and deserving. Do you personally believe that, that little kids from their earliest years before they have made many choices or any choices are deserving of God's love or of his anger? Do you think people, if they grow up in the right family and choose the right peers in their formative teenage years, will be on the right track and can trust their hearts, their guts, their minds, and their emotions? Or is the problem that needs to be fixed actually within them and not outside of them? If you're skeptical about that teaching, uh, you would not be the first one. It's actually a, a pretty healthy debate. Are we born bad? Is original sin true? Sometimes it's young new parents who struggle with that teaching. Maybe they've grown up hearing, you're born in sin and you need to be born again, but they have their first kid and the, the child looks so good and innocent and beautiful and precious. And they want to say, Corrupt? Evil? D deserving of God's anger? Like, no, that's just not just the right thing to describe my, my beautiful child. Like, if our hearts aren't good, then why do we have all these hallmark moments from kids, from grown-ups, from Christians and non-Christians? We love, we give, we, we share. We have these beautiful moments that the news and social media sometimes captures that warms our hearts. To which the Christian says, well, well, maybe. But how do you know what actions are really good if you can't see the heart? If a middle school boy says really sweet things to a middle school girl but has ulterior motives, are those sweet things really that sweet? If I give generously to, to the poor but I want to make sure that all of you know it, is my generosity good in the eyes of God? If a local business supports a nonprofit cause because supporting nonprofit cause is kind of good for business in the end, is that good in the eyes of the God who's great? Like Jesus talked all the time about people who looked good on the outside, but God didn't think their hearts were so good on the inside. So if you can't see the heart, how do you know what's good at all? Okay, I'll have to think about that, the skeptic says, but, but come on. Like, isn't original sin in itself like a toxic idea? If you tell people they're bad and they're corrupted and their hearts are deceitful and they can't even trust their, their own feelings, like, won't, won't, that, won't that just lead them down a path where they make bad choices because bad people do bad things? 
Isn't it better what we've come up with recently, the, the self-esteem movement to tell kids that they're wonderful and they're unique and they're beautiful and that they're just true to themselves and follow their hearts, the world will be a better place? To which someone might respond, uh, have you ever studied the self-esteem movement? After 30 plus years of telling people they're so good, when you look around on social media, does it seem like people are behaving better? Uh, author Will Storr uh, studied the self-esteem movement in his book, Selfie. Uh, he's not a Christian, but as he analyzed what's happened in culture, this was his conclusion. For decades, we've been telling people that they're good, which means that people have started to believe that what they feel in their hearts is sacred, which means that if any of you contradict what I feel in my heart, you're not sacred, but sinful. And if you're sinful, you need to be shut up and silenced. And with that one quote, he explained what happens in the comment section of every controversial blog where someone is offended and their feelings aren't validated and things blow up and apparently telling people that they're so good doesn't make them better. It can actually make them worse. Yeah, but, the, the, the skeptic says, I mean, this is all pretty convenient for the Christian church, isn't it? Like, you can't trust your own heart, so guess where you need to come? the church. And you're all bad and, and sinful and evil. You need to be saved and guess where you can get saved? At the church. Oh yeah, and while you're at church, guess what we're going to do? Pass the plate and get your money. So isn't this all like kind of an unholy hustle the church invented to keep people chained to its chairs and pews to make money? And the Christian would lament, you know, that's happened way too often and it's disgusting to God and he hates it. But what, what if a good church had a different motive for preaching the badness of the human heart? What if they were just trying to keep you humble and happy at the same time? To save you from becoming one of those proud people who thinks that you're so good and all those other people are so bad and to keep you as a happy person who doesn't think that you're so bad that you can ever be good with God? What this teaching about the human heart actually leads to a happier and holier place. You see the debate. Are we good? Boil that idea down to a simple two-word question, we good? And your answer impacts everything. Whether you embrace the, the common movement that truth is within you, that you should just be true to yourself, that you should follow your heart, or you're skeptical because you believe your heart is deceitful, comes down to that question. Whether you trust your gut or open this book and lean not on your own understanding comes down to that question. Whether we have children and have an urgency to connect them to Jesus because they do need to be born again comes down to that question. Whether you can be independently spiritual and just have your own personal relationship with God or if that's dangerous because of your heart and you actually need community and accountability and spiritual authority comes down to that question. So you don't have to answer out loud, but I wonder what you think of the question. We good? Uh, today, I want three people to help us figure out that question. So if you have a Bible with you or you want to follow along on the screen, let's look at what Moses said in Genesis chapter 5. He wrote, When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. 
He created them male and female and blessed them, and he named them mankind when they were created. Way back in the beginning, the God who makes no mistakes made mankind. And it says here that he made them in his likeness and in his image. That both male and female, Adam and Eve, were like God. And because God is a spirit and he doesn't have a body, that didn't mean they were like his height or his hair color. They were like his holiness. They were perfect like God. Flawless, spotless, righteous, just like God. If Adam and Eve would have looked at their father in heaven, their creator, and said, we good? He would have beamed and said, oh yeah, (laughs) just like me. But one verse later, Moses hints at a tragic change. Look what he goes on to say. Verse 3, when Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. Uh, Don't be distracted by the crazy long life and uh, virility that God gave to Adam. I want you to notice those little words, his own. When Adam had a child and named him Seth, he created him, he made him, he reproduced him in his own image and in his own likeness. In other words, baby Seth had a lot more in common with his earthly father than with our father in heaven. And if you've read the, the whole story, Genesis 1-4, to you know what that tragically means. That Adam and Eve, who were as good as God, decided to do something bad. They took the fruit from the tree they shouldn't have, the knowledge of good and evil, and they started to know evil in a way they never had before. They sinned. And in the process, they became sinners. And they ran from God and, and they hid from God. They blamed God and they blamed each other. It, it got really ugly. And apparently, when that sinner and another sinner had sex, they could not create a saint. They created a child in their own likeness, in their own image. Someone who is not sinless, who is not holy, who is not righteous, instead who is broken because of sin. And Adam and Eve's original sin made sin our human origin. King David would say, Surely I was sinful from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. After Adam and Eve sinned, it would not be one choice in our our teenage or adult years that separated us from God, but from the very start, the problem would begin because two sinners simply can't create a saint. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Ask Moses the question, we good? And he would say, yes! And then, no. (laughs) Yes, we were so good. We were as good as God. But because of sin, we lost his holiness, his righteousness, his image. It's really important for you to know, uh, especially those of you parents and and grandparents, uh, you uncles and aunts. This means that because of the fall into sin, what happened to the human heart is not completely reliable. A woman reached out to me this past week who was struggling and I noticed that she used the word feel over a dozen times and connected to how she felt were things that simply weren't true. She felt like God had forgotten about her, that God wasn't with her, that God hadn't forgiven her, that God didn't have a plan for her. 
Because what we feel in the depth of our hearts, especially when we suffer, doesn't line up with, with the thoughts and the plans of God. And this is why a connection to this book is, is so vital. The one thing that doesn't change, the one thing that doesn't ride the roller coaster of our own emotions, which sometimes are true and sometimes are so far from God. The reason we want you to stay connected to the church and to the word at home, to have a Bible app on your phone or your tablet, to gather as a family and to read this word is because sometimes what you feel is absolutely true and sometimes it's not. And sometimes when you're living your truth or following your heart, you're spot on like God would be and sometimes it's just the opposite. Because Moses has the hard news. We, we were good. We, we didn't need a Bible before. Our hearts just knew the will of God. But things changed when human beings fell into sin. But let's be real for a second. How can you possibly believe that and be a happy person? I mean, to think, my heart's deceitful. My children were born under the wrath and anger of God. Let's be happy, everyone. You know, hands in on three. And what are we supposed to do? Like gather with family and friends and our little children in front of the mirror and recite our daily anti-affirmations? We're not good enough and we're not smart enough and God probably doesn't like us. <laughs> like how could you possibly believe that and be able to rejoice in the depth of your heart? That's the right question actually to ask the Apostle Paul. Because Paul was a man who actually changed his mind about this question. He used to believe he was a good person, a really good person, a better person than most people. But then Paul became a Christian and he thought he was a bad person, a really bad person. In fact, he thought he was the worst person, which seems like a pretty depressing thing to put on your Instagram, doesn't it? I used to be good, now I'm a wretched sinner. And that's what makes Paul so interesting. You know the guy who said all the stuff that we want to put on our Christian coffee cups? That was Paul. The guy who said we can rejoice always, that Christians can have a peace that goes beyond understanding. A guy who said he had learned the secret of being content. If you would have run into Paul, he, he probably would have had a smile on his face because he was the most satisfied soul you had ever met. <laughs> Which makes you wonder, how is that possible? How can you think you're the worst sinner on planet Earth and still have this incredible contentment, peace, and joy? Well, today Paul's going to give us the answer. Let me show you some little snippets of what Paul wrote about the badness of human nature. Uh, he said in Romans chapter 8 that the mind governed by the flesh, that's like how we, we come into the world by nature, is hostile to God. Like, if it was just you and no God, you would push back, you would question, you would doubt, you would not want to do what God wants you to do and if you did, you wouldn't do it with a joyful heart. It's hostile. It gets even worse in Ephesians. Paul says, we were by nature, not nurture, deserving of wrath. Does a person deserve to be loved by God, helped by God, blessed by God? Paul would say, no. You deserve the anger, the punishment, and the wrath of God. And it wasn't just like, like terrorists and people who hurt children. Look at this. In 1 Timothy 1, Paul talks about sinners and he says, of whom I'm the worst. <laughs> right, so Paul did not pull punches when he talked about the human heart. But something changed all that. Let me show you what else Paul wrote. In the same book, Romans, he said, but while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. Like, we, we were bad, but that didn't stop us from being blessed. And we were far from God, but that didn't stop God from coming near to us. We deserved his wrath and his anger, but he gave us what we didn't deserve. Christ died for us. In Ephesians 2, Paul gushed, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. <laughs> like we were dead. We were undeserving of his love and we were just sitting there like a spiritual corpse and we couldn't change it. So what did God do? Out of his great heart, out of his amazing mercy, out of his unstoppable grace, he made us alive. He sought us he found us, he got the gospel to us, and he flipped that switch in our hearts so that we could be close to God. Even if you're the worst. <laughs> in 1 Timothy 1, Paul said this. Here's a trustworthy saying. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. <laughs> I mean, you can wake up and feel just like Paul, like there's no one who messes stuff up as much as I do. But that does not stop Jesus from coming into the world to save people just like us. And Paul was brutal about human nature, which is why he gushed about the loving nature of Jesus. He believed that by himself he was a bad man, but because of Jesus he was insanely blessed. So write this down. Ask Paul our simple question, we good? <laughs> and he'd agree with Moses. He'd say, no, not, not by nature. But in Jesus, Yes. In Jesus, sinners become saints, the dead come alive, and the undeserving receive everything through his blood. And that's why I love these cards. Uh, some of you know that a few years ago, I did some research in the Bible that, that changed me spiritually. I read through the entire New Testament and I tried to figure out the names that God calls Christians. Like people who trust that Jesus did it all. And, and some of the names are kind of bad, like, you know, you're weak or you're of little faith. And, you know, some of them are, are kind of good. They talk about being righteous or holy or a child of God. This past week, though, I adapted my research and I wanted to figure out just Paul. Like in his 13 New Testament letters, what did Paul say? Like, he said, by nature, we deserve God's wrath and his anger and his punishment. So how did he break down? And I counted up all 13 letters and in total, Paul used 334 different names to describe Christians. Do you know how many of them were bad and how many were good? Bad? Good. 31 times, Paul said, yeah, we are sinners, even as Christians. 303 times, he said, but because of Jesus, we are so much more. We are those that the Lord loves. We are a bride beautifully dressed. We are highly favored. We are new people in Jesus. We are invited to the feast, the throne, on and on and on and on, Paul goes. And he knows that if you're a Christian, you need to know this. Because this stack right here is going to keep you humble and this stack right here is going to keep you happy. Do you know what happens to people who don't believe that they're bad? They become the worst. In a relationship or at a school or in a church, if I think I'm such a really good person, 
I'm going to look down at all the people that I think aren't good people. And I'm going to become impatient and intolerant and confused why you all just don't change and become like me. But if you're like Paul and you know that something's wrong with your heart, you can become compassionate and kind and humble and patient. As you raise kids, as you date, and as you do married life, and instead of flying off the handle, why would you ever do that? You can say, I, I get it. I struggle. And you can be that kind of humble, incredible person that puts others first. Knowing you're a sinner doesn't make you worse. It actually makes your character better. <laughs> and this makes you crazy happy. <laughs> like, if you think that God doesn't love you, if you're a Christian, how can you think that? <laughs> if you think that God is like plans to, to harm you instead of giving you hope in a future, let me give you 303 reasons why Paul wouldn't agree with that. If you think in the midst of your confusion or your pain and your suffering that God is not with you, well, let me give you over 300 reasons why that simply can't be true. How could you not be close to God if he calls you invited, chosen, holy, pure, righteous, redeemed, and loved? Paul's answer to this question that Christians are not good by nature but Jesus makes us something new is the key to humble happiness. Which brings us to Jesus. The Jesus many of you love and trust, what did he say about this question? And the answer is the same as Moses and Paul. Jesus said in John chapter 3, that famous chapter about God loving the world so much, he said, flesh gives birth to flesh. Sinful people give birth to sinful people. You're born in sin, Jesus said, you have to be born again. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus was talking about parents and he says, you parents know how to give good gifts to your children even though you're evil. <laughs> Look it up, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus called people evil. And yet if you count Jesus' names in the Gospels, you would find the same thing. He knew that people were evil but his blood and his love could make them so much more. But there's one passage from Jesus I need you to hear uh, before you leave today. It's what Jesus said is going to happen to you if you trust in him on the day that he returns. Let me show you these amazing words from Revelation chapter 21. He who is seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. One day when Jesus comes back with all his divine authority as King of kings and Lord of lords, he has promised to make everything new, even you. Your heart will not, will not be torn between badness and goodness ever again. You will never stumble in the church and have to have the quiet moment of confession for your regrets and sins. There will just be extra time for praise. You'll never be like magnetically drawn to something that God says isn't good. You'll never have to apologize for things you, you do bad. You'll never have to fight that spiritual fight to say no to the things that God doesn't want you to do. Instead, everything that you feel, everything that you say, everything that you think, every motive of your heart, every choice that you make will be as good as God. Because when Jesus comes back, it's not just our bodies that will be changed but our very hearts and souls. And as Christians, we long for that day we want our backs to feel better. We want the depression to go away. We want the anxiety to be over. But how good would it feel to never, ever, ever sin again? And when we see Jesus, 
and he makes everything new. That's exactly what will happen. So call Moses and Paul and Jesus up to the stand and ask them, we good? Here's what they would say. Yes, then no, kind of soon. <laughs> if you're filling in blanks, I'd put it this way. Jesus said entirely soon, yes. <laughs> Your heart will be as good as God intended it. And for all eternity, you who believe in Jesus will look at the beaming face of your Father in heaven and ask, am I good? Father, are we good? And you won't even need him to reply. You'll see the look in his eyes. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you so much for your grace. Uh, when we see people at work and at school who are not good to us, it, it can feel almost impossible to love. Just walking away seems like a victory, but, but Father, you did the opposite. You came toward us. You, you sought the lambs that had wandered from you. We all like sheep had gone astray, but Jesus, you sought us out and you bled and died so that we could be close to God forever. Father, as for humility today, especially within the Christian church, our world does not need another proud, hypocritical Christian. They need those who are just like Paul and believe that we really are lost without you. Give us the humility that produces a thousand spiritual blessings, kindness, patience, compassion, and love. And we thank you, Jesus, for your blood. We thank you that because of you, we never have to wonder about self-worth. We never have to build up self-esteem or tell ourselves that we're worthy. We're not. But because of what you did, now we are worthy of eternal life. Thank you for a guarantee that can't be taken away. Thank you for a foundation that isn't based on our behavior or spiritual choices. Thank you for unconditional love. I pray, God, that we could proclaim this boldly. There are people around the world who are not born good. They need to be made good by your blood. And so give us a passion as we reach out to those that we know that don't go to church, that don't read their Bibles, that don't know the truth of unconditional love that's found in you. God, make us holy, make us humble, and make us happy, all by your answer to this question. We pray this with confidence because we know who we are. We may be sinners, but we are so much more saints because of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Do you find Jesus really interesting but kind of confusing? Maybe today you sense that God is working on your heart and giving you a new excitement about the things of the Christian faith, but you're not quite sure what to do next. If so, you're exactly the kind of person that I wrote this brand new book for called The Basics. Uh, it's not AP Bible and it's not going to answer every question you have about Christianity, but it's going to get you back to the basics of why Jesus is worth following today and for the rest of your life. If you're interested, just go to timeofgrace.org to download your free copy. Do Christians believe in a God who is different from the God of the Jews and Muslims? Do Christians believe that marriage is to be between one man and one woman? Do Christians believe that it is wrong to have an abortion? How do we begin to answer these tough questions in today's world? More importantly, how do we answer these tough questions not to win an argument, but to point a hurting world to Jesus? We want to help you do that with two books. Our new book, More Tough Questions and How the Bible Answers Them, and Tough Questions, Reasoned Answers. More Tough Questions is based on personal conversations with people who didn't know Jesus until later in life. 
It will help you respond to some of the major issues people raise when it comes to believing in God, trusting the Bible, and following Jesus. In Tough Questions, Reasoned Answers, we tackle 12 questions skeptics often use against Christianity. With biblical insight and practical wisdom, these two books show you how to communicate what Christians believe while also inviting others to meet the loving Savior whose truth sets us free. This set of Tough Questions books is our way of thanking you for your financial support. Request these when you give by calling 800-661-3311, visit timeofgrace.org, or write us at P.O. Box 301, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 53201. Time of Grace doesn't end here. Visit timeofgrace.org and explore encouraging resources or sign up for our daily email and have everything delivered right to your inbox like our Grace Moments devotions, Grace Talks devotional videos, blog, and podcasts. Follow us on social media where you'll find a supportive Christian community. If you need prayer, give us a call and let us know what's on your heart. Thank you so much for your support. See you next week on Time of Grace.